This is the E-Commerce Brain Trust, a podcast about building momentum online for established consumer brands. Join our hosts and their expert guests for high-level conversations about e-commerce strategies, trends, and innovations. Access our Brain Trust and boost your brand's e-commerce potential. Well, hello and welcome back to the e-commerce Brain Trust podcast. I'm your host, Kiri Masters, Head of Retail Strategy at Acadia. And today I'm joined by a returning guest of the show, Dean McElwee, who is the Director for Global E-Commerce Collaboration at Stanley Black & Decker and the recently published author of E-Commerce for CEOs. Welcome to the show, Dean. Thanks, Kiri, and thanks for having me back on the show. Really enjoy being here. Yeah, well, we had a wonderful opportunity with the launch of your new book, which I got to read and give some thoughts on before publishing. So wonderful opportunity to have you back. I'd love to, we can talk about the book as we go along, but really framing it for the audience here today who are you know, not necessarily at the starting point of learning about e-commerce, but mm-hmm. more at the influencing aspect of helping to educate internally and advocate for the e-com channel, etc. So really happy that you can join us today because it's something that you have also been very successful in your career doing in your various roles. Thank you. Wonderful. So let's just start there really, Dean, you know, in your experience and perhaps in conversations with peers and colleagues at other companies, how should people be thinking about educating and influencing the executives in their company that really need to sort of be brought along the journey of e-commerce? Yeah, it's a great question. And I think the challenge for all of us is we're extremely passionate. I find e-commerce people extremely passionate about what they do. So it's often our whole world. You know, our whole world is e-commerce. We live, we breathe it. But when we're talking to execs in different audiences, it may not be their whole world. It may only be a fraction of what they do. So I think we need to see things from their perspective. When when we look at the projects that we do, the things that we propose to them, can we see it from their perspective, which normally involves certainly most really senior execs around saving money, making money, being more efficient, if you think that need to be is more efficient, or adding and augmenting what the business already does. So if you look at it from their perspective and where they might be coming from on this, I think the second piece of advice I have is always tailor your style. I've found often when I've been in businesses that you have advocates of e-commerce, and what I try and do is map out beforehand audience that I'm talking to, who of them are advocates for e-commerce in general. They're net positive when they think about e-commerce, which are neutral and then which are opponents. You you get some of those existing commercial leaders who may be quite challenged by the or threatened by the rise of Amazon in their businesses. So you need to understand their opponents and then you also need to understand why they might be opposing it. Some people might be opposing it because there's a threat of loss or a threat of diminishing capability or returns or lack of capability on their side. It's always tailoring your style based on the audience and where they may be coming from. I think the important thing that we've got to focus on is stressing the benefits. We are very good at talking about e-commerce is growing, therefore you should be doing this. But is that a strong enough reason? It's 
really stress the benefits for the organizations, stress the benefits for the brands that we have. You know, you're putting your brand in front of a new audience with marketplaces, for example, we get the opportunity to put a ton more content out there to engage shoppers than you than you do in other channels. So stress the benefits of the way e-commerce can operate for the business. And my last piece of advice is really build rapport. And the one thing I've always learned is people love talking about themselves, don't they? So they love sort of talking about what they're doing. So when you're talking to the senior execs, it's quite tempting to sort of jump in and go, hey, this is what we're going to do. This is where we're going to do it. This is, But what are their challenges? Because then what you're doing is you're matching what your econ ideas are, your proposals, with the clear challenge that already exists in the business that somebody else is trying to solve. So they may be saying, we're challenged about growth, for example. So... We're challenged about growth. We're trying to access new growth. How are I going to do that? And then you can match that with an opportunity you're proposing and say, well, by the way, we're not on Amazon. How about we go and, you know, sort of expand into that area, expand into new marketplaces? So it's really get them to talk about themselves and then be interested in what the challenges are that they're trying to solve. I'm pretty sure you'll find that e-commerce can assist in solving a number of those challenges in business. Those are really great points. I I just want to recap those because I was taking some notes as well. So looking at things from an executive's perspective, what are they interested in? And you said saving money, making money, and there was one final one as well. Often efficiency, how to make the business work harder, sweat the assets that they have. Absolutely. Okay, tailoring your style. Are you speaking with an advocate, a neutral party, or an opponent? That is such a good point. You don't want to be preaching to the choir, but you want to understand, you know, what level you should be coming in at, showing the benefits outside of just, hey, look, Amazon is growing. Let's do it. Yeah. <laughs> I love this. And you alluded to it, which is talking about content. We had a recent episode where I shared five sort of logical arguments for investing in content on Amazon, but also other retail platforms. And there is a lot to be said about having a strong presence for that customer who is in a store showrooming essentially mm. because people are pulling up that Amazon app or retailer.com apps and checking out what does that content look like, using that to help them make a buying decision. I think that's a really underappreciated benefit. Absolutely, because I think that's how we all behave. I sit there in the shops. Um, one of the examples I read to in the book is about me looking at buying a car and I'm still stalling on it. I haven't yet bought it, but it's been the case of I'm sitting at the dealership and I go, okay, so where is this? And I go onto my phone to check what's the pricing for this type of model so I can validate whether the dealer that I'm actually talking to is within the price range. So I'm doing it as part of the normal sort of thing. And, and I think we do underappreciate the influence of digital in even those bricks and mortar buying decisions that we have. So we sort of think about retail as a universal activity that people engage in. We all need to buy stuff. We all need to buy cereal and dog food and clothing and things like that. Currently, the C-suite looks older, whiter and maler than the regular population, right? And I, I don't know about you, Dean, but sometimes I'll have a conversation with an executive 
and they don't do a whole lot of shopping online. It's their, you know, often their wife that is doing the shopping and they may not even engage that much with Amazon themselves. So how do you think about that situation where you're sort of trying to convince something that most people would have a regular interaction with, but sometimes these C-suite folks really don't do a whole lot of, engage in a whole lot of retail activity themselves. No, they don't. Yeah, you're absolutely right in your assessment of where we are, as I shared at the beginning of the book. The inspiration of this came through COVID, and I was very fortunate at the time in my previous company to work for a, a very mature leader who could actually properly articulate that and be quite open with the fact that he didn't know this. And he came on the call and was thinking, what do I talk to my senior leadership team about? It's the middle of COVID. I don't know what to ask them about what's been happening on all the retailers that we deal with. It's a real thing. I think it's once again about saying to them, yes, we are all customers, but I think it's really about where does our brand want to show up? How does it want to show up? And as branded goods manufacturers, which is typically the businesses I've worked in, you want to control how your brand is executed, whether it's in-store or online. So that's normally what I start with when I say, you go into stores, you go into visit stores with your sales teams and you go and walk through them. Well, let's go and do that online. So sometimes I take them through a very simple shopping exercise. Pull up Amazon, talk to them through search. Often we've also recorded these sessions so we can play them and set them as tasks for different levels of the organization because that becomes a store tour of, it's like physical store tour. And that worked particularly well with this executive because he was like, okay, well, so that's what you're actually looking for. And then start to relate how people search. And there's a great example of this. Mike Black is is a a person we know so well. He always, and I always laugh at it, it's an example he uses on search that nobody walks into a supermarket and goes, milk, and screams milk. But it's an unbranded search, and take people through how does their brand show up. So I found often just demonstrating a store tour through my perspective of what I'm looking for is quite a useful way to transition that conversation and help them to start looking at it in a different light. They don't need to be experts in the store tour, but they are used to doing store tours with, with all their teams. So it's a nice sort of segue to allow them to be able to get into you who come. Yeah, that's a really great tip, positioning it as a store tour. How else have you found success in internal positioning of e-commerce opportunities to the C-suite? I think what we've sort of broken it out into is a couple of different things. And I think e-com is one of those wonderful things where it doesn't fall into one or the other. It's so easy to say, yeah, this is about the sales opportunity. But I think it's about saying that there are a couple of different ways it presents itself. So one is commercial opportunities. There may be new commercial opportunities through countries or platforms in certain countries where the business doesn't yet have the size to to actually grow into that country. So, for example, one of the markets we're looking at is in Eastern Europe, and there's a big platform in there. Europe, and we don't necessarily have a big sales force there. So this is a great commercial opportunity to leverage e-com as a different route to market. So look at it from that sort of commercial opportunity point of view. And then 
Secondly, look at it as a marketing opportunity. So engage your brand teams to say, this is the opportunity in your CMO to say, this is your opportunity to communicate the brand regularly during the course of the year and align the marketing sort of executions both through retail and above the line to make sure that it's pervasive to the consumer. And then look at various ways you can engage the consumers or your base first. So, you know, often I see fantastic ones. There's a lovely one I think I referred to in the book from Oreos, which is a personalized Oreos in the US, Francesca Hahn did that. And that's just such a great way to take a brand, scale it beyond just a single shopping center and make this a great engagement opportunity. It's really a marketing idea more than a sales idea, but it's a really great way of positioning to say we can do something different for consumers and shoppers in this that gives them a different way of engaging with the brand. And then I think the last one is really to focus on the two most important people that we should really be talking about, which is the customer or the consumer. So, you know, frame it around how do we connect with those people, where they are and how they are. To your point, a lot of them start on Amazon. They start looking at Amazon for the product. If we're not there, if we don't have the right, right presence there, even if we're not selling there directly, we still need to be there. So it's about being where the consumer or cons- customer is. Yeah, I couldn't agree more. Being where the consumer is, and it, it may not be, again, necessarily where you're shopping or where you might prefer to shop or in the way you might prefer to shop, but really there's a huge amount of opportunity in looking past your own preferences and where are your consumers actually discovering, researching, considering, transacting, like all through that life cycle. So, Dean, what about mistakes that you see unfold when an e-commerce leader may not really be securing the buy-in that they need internally? What's the fallout from that? Yeah. So I think when you're a C-suite leader and CEO, what you're trying to do is make the best use of the company's resources, both people and capital. And you're making very complex, big decisions around that. Often I've seen one or two teams come in and push forward on something without understanding the context of where the bigger business is. And I think this is a couplefold where it is from an investment point of view. Sometimes e-commerce takes quite a bit of investment. So, you know, they'll be pushing for a substantial investment in content or a new D2C platform or a new team. But the business is making different decisions based on its business life cycle. Perhaps it's on the inventory reduction. Perhaps it's recently done a reduction in force. And here's the C-com team with great and positive coming there. And then they're not con- they're not in the context of the broader business situation. I think the second one is not being situationally aware, and I call this emotionally unaware. So you're sort of not reading the room properly when you're sort of pushing something and you go, and everybody's giving you feedback and you're sort of going, but this is the best thing to do because you're so passionate about it. But it's really that emotional unawareness that I've seen catch people up. And then I think the third one, and it's, as I said, it's difficult because most of our e-commerce people that I see are so passionate about what they do, is that they are so emotionally invested that they lose perspective. And really what we want to do is be 
invested enough and passionate about enough to get it over the line, but don't lose perspective of where the business is, what are some of the commercial challenges, what are some of the objections you might see. So a lot of what we may do when I present concepts is role-play what the objections may be. So we'll say, okay, well, the sort of team at Home Depot, how are they going to think about us going direct-to-consumer? Yeah. And what's their reactions going to be? And do that before you do the presentation to that wider team because you'll be able to work out those objections and be able to see that. So a lot of that is role-playing those perspectives so that you can work against the objections because a lot of what we're doing is new to business. So you've got to be able to have that perspective and work out those objections. And that's often what I see you bring these perspective. Yes, those are great points. On the other side... What do you think there is to gain? I mean, this all sounds, it's challenging. It's challenging to put yourself out there. You're taking a reputational risk, like you said, by pushing something, getting people maybe to confront their own biases and beliefs. And like you mentioned, there could be opponents to you. So you might be taking a professional or reputational risk, putting in a lot of time. Mm. What's to gain by taking a risk in doing this educating and influencing from within? I think there are a couple. The one is that you learn to refine the message. So you've got to, you know, it's quite easy when everything's going your way and it's something the company wants to do. Shall we sell more to Walmart and you're already big in Walmart? Yeah, this is easy. It's not hard work. But I think you can gain a very clear idea of what is your message, what is your elevator pitch. And by doing this multiple times and to multiple audiences, and that's often how it works in large businesses, you need to talk to multiple stakeholders, is you refine the message. I think, secondly, if you do this and you do it well, you gain credibility as an astute business commercial leader, particularly if you're thinking from their perspective and you're saying, I know we have challenges here, but this is why this is the right thing to do. Here's the benefits, here's the return. So I think you gain a lot in sort of credibility with the business. And that in of itself can lead to future projects. I think we often go with projects that we want to do now, but the timing may not be right for the business. So sometimes it's just about building awareness that gives you a possibility of a future project where the business is right, the business is in the right place. I know we're working on one at the moment, and the first one was really, really hard to get over the line. Yeah, we've got a limited assortment on the DTC site in a large market, our largest market in the middle. So it's so hard to get that through because teams had agendas and everybody's thing. And then we built it and built it and built it. Now it's starting to be a bit of a flywheel for us because you've delivered, you've got credibility. So. It's about being really consistent in that. And I think it's take a risk. You know, what have you got to do? Somebody says no. That's not the worst thing in the world. I like that. And another little anecdote, I'm trying to get Jordan on the podcast because he had some great wisdom to share. But Jordan Whitmer from Kenview shared this anecdote at a conference I was at where he was really gunning for a position on the brand side interfacing with Sears 
I think it was. It was some retailer that, you know, swiftly went out of business and he, you know, got passed over for this role. He's like, oh, dang, dang, and got put on the e-commerce team instead, which was still like fairly nascent and did really definitely seem like a runner-up prize. But I think also if you put yourself out there in this way as someone who is taking on the more difficult tasks and advocacy and thinking about the future even if you don't get all of the things you want to get over the line like you said you're building that reputation internally of someone who can take on a challenge and that might lead to something else even if it's not necessarily on your wish list you're so right i think if you think of what business leaders are hiring people to do even hiring newcomers students to do is it's solve a challenge solve a problem so if you become that person who is prepared to jump in and help solve a problem and help solve a challenge, that's exactly what they're hiring you to do. They want to make an impact beyond their own role. They don't want to spend all the time coaching you. So if you can come in and you can make a difference and do that, that's what a lot of people have. You know, when I hire people, I always come back to one of the, the leaders' approaches, which is Mark Law from Jet.com. And he has this thing called Spotac. And he talks about, I want smart people and not just book smart. They must have smarts. He wants passionate people. He wants optimistic people. He wants tenacious people. He wants adaptable people and he wants kind people. And I love that because I think in what we do from an e-commerce point of view, you need all of those. You, You need those types of people. And that's why being that tenacious of putting yourself out there, trying to solve problems and being adaptable to where the business is, is absolutely key to what we do. I love that. Well, so we talked at the top of the show a little bit about your book, E-commerce for CEOs. Can you share a little bit about the audience of that book and maybe the audience of this show can leverage it, if not for themselves, but sort of use it as a tool in their workplace? Yeah. So I think the audience is twofold. The audience is one for leaders who are not as digitally astute. So one of the things, and I can't take credit for it, is the digital IQ of teams is generally much lower the more senior you go in the organization. A company called eConsultancy has done benchmarking in this, and I've seen a couple of them where this has proved absolutely true. So I think the one is for leaders who are in organizations who have primarily grown up in an omni-channel or even bricks-only environment, bricks-and-mortar environment, who are looking to understand e-commerce but are but overwhelmed by it. Those are the people I'm trying to take a bridge from the bricks-and-mortar world and show them how e-commerce operates and what it looks like and where it's similar but also where it's different. The second audience is those who are already in econ who are trying to influence others. So how can we use that to help people understand and spark conversations about what we're doing? I had a very interesting discussion with a SaaS provider today who was doing exactly that. They were sending the book to the CEOs of their prospective clients to go, we're quite a complicated SaaS product, but let's have a discussion about e-commerce in general and how we build it. So it's really those two audiences that I'm trying to talk to and then help them understand each other's perspectives. Because I think, you know, we grow up and we go, yeah, 
everybody must be on Amazon and half the team goes, I've never wanted to be on Amazon and like that. But he was sitting in a brick and mortar environment and he said, Would you not want to be in a Walmart supercenter? And of course everybody wants to be in a Walmart supercenter themselves, you know, consumer package goods. So it's you know, and that's why I always say Amazon's like the super center of the internet. It's got everything in it, it's big, it captures a large market. So to help you give examples for the econ people of what that bridge looks like, that it becomes easier for people to understand. Amazing. And so where can people buy the book and connect with you? So I'm always on LinkedIn. I'm I'm very active on LinkedIn, so they can do that there. We are on sale on Amazon, absolutely everywhere. So every single Amazon platform around the world there. And it's on extended distribution, so they may be on a marketplace near you that Amazon sells to you. So I've seen ones pitching out in some really interesting countries. So look on your local marketplace, and it could possibly be there through extended distribution. Excellent. Well, we'll link up to the book in the show notes here, as well as up to your LinkedIn profile. Thank you so much for joining us, Dean. Thank you, and thank you for being the inspiration behind it. So you know, I think. We did two fantastic books on Amazon for CEOs and Instacart for CMOs. And that became the sort of idea where, you know, I think you and I chatted about the beginning to say, is there this? So thank you for being the inspiration behind it. And Great. I listened to one of the early ones where you talked about how you went about it. So I thought, I can actually do this. So yeah. thank you for being the inspiration behind getting this done. Oh. You're quite welcome. That's very kind. Thank you, Dean. I'll I'll see you around on the LinkedIn sphere. Absolutely.